This podcast features discussions about finance and money, which are general in nature. This means that it has been prepared without taking into account your specific objectives and financial needs. We suggest that before acting on this information, you seek out professional advice. Hey folks, welcome along to another episode of Looking Under the Hood, the Money Mechanics podcast where we are unpacking the money stuff. I'm really excited about today's episode. We've got Dr. Michelle Cull from the Western Sydney University here to have a really interesting conversation about trust. Now, hi Michelle, welcome along. Hi Scott, thank you for having me. It is my absolute pleasure. I Love your experience, your background, the um, work that you're doing at the moment, I guess, for the, the future generation of financial advice, but also I think some of the, the research and even the financial literacy stuff that you've done. We did an episode on financial literacy and, and money stress with Dr. Tracy West uh, on episode 28 for people who are listening. And today, as I say, we're taking the turn probably down the, the path of trust and I know you did that that research uh, a few years ago, but but before we jump into that, we've been asking all our guests about an early happy money memory. And I know before we started recording, you said that you've got a few early money memories. Well, I have, um, yeah, one of each, I suppose, like one <laughs> bad money memory and one good money memory. But my very first money memory goes back to when I was, I think, in around second grade. And my mother had given me some money for, for something that we needed for school. And she didn't have, um, you know, the, the breakdown. Uh, so she had to give me like a one or two dollar note, um, back then as it was. And I was responsible for this money. And I remember, um, my sister had her morning tea or recess before me. And I had given her this money to, to get her something for morning tea. And then I see her walking back with all of her friends, all eating packets of UFOs, and she had used all the money to treat her friends uh, to these packets of chips, and I was just devastated. I felt sick. I couldn't believe that she had wasted all of this. Well, to me, it was a waste. Um, at the time, I just felt very responsible because my mum had trusted me with that with that money. Um, but on a positive note, uh, I used to receive pocket money and I've had to do different tasks at home to receive that pocket money. And I have a very good money memory in terms of saving that pocket money to purchase myself my first album a record back then, which was Olivia Newton-John. Oh, good old vinyl. Yes. And oh, I love absolutely it. loved that. I got a lot of enjoyment. Um, from that album, and they weren't cheap back then. It actually took a long time to save up for that, uh, but it was it was worth it. And I think um, it's great to have these these money memories and to be able to associate being responsible with money with also enjoying enjoying the outcomes of that. Yeah, exactly. And and I think as you say, like there's there's two sides to every coin or two sides to every every banknote. And so your your experience of the oh I've been trusted with this money, uh, if you ask your sister that same, oh, we'll have to get her on to ask her the question of her memory of that that experience. But her memory is probably very different in that she's like, Oh, I had this money and I got to treat all my friends and and have this this light ex exciting moment. And so I think as humans we've got to remember that there's the uh, the, the good and the bad, uh, so to speak, that, that comes up with 
with these uh, memories, but but they're just stories at the end of the day. And look, thanks for sharing those, Michelle. They're, they're great ones. And um, yeah, big big shout out to Olivia Newton-John. I mean, yeah, so sad that she's she's not with us anymore, but such a, a great legacy that she's left as well. And I still have the album, by the way. I have to say. I love that. And um, as I say, again, going down a total rabbit hole now, but I, at Christmas, was having a look at uh, my parents' uh, vinyl collection because I've still got their, their record player and I, I, don't, I don't have a record player. So there's a few old albums that I, I bought back in the day. I don't know if I want to uh, disclose that I've got a, a Jason Donovan and uh, a few other uh, random uh, records. But I looked at how much they cost and I think it was about $28 or something. And so Back in the, I'm just going, wow, that is a lot of money back in the um, late 80s, early 90s that um, that you'd spend on those things. So it's um, it is amazing how uh, how that's all gone. But nice segue, I guess, with the the story of trust that you were telling uh, with your sister to start talking about some of that research that you've done. And I mean, look, probably in, in the media every day we do hear stories around uh, around trust, around money and those things. I, I saw uh, over the, the summer period a, a couple of colleagues talking about the Bernie Madoff uh, story. The Netflix have got the, the special The Monster of Wall Street and uh, one of their comments was just how amazingly he was able to build the rapport and that trust uh, with people. And, and we've even seen similar stories here in, in Australia as well, which has resulted in, in people being becoming victims and losing a uh, truckload of money. But I guess, yeah, what's your research shown? Or where, what, what is trust? Like where, where does all this, this come from, I guess, at the end of the day? Well, I suppose that the core of trust is that like, there's some vulnerability that exists for someone to have to trust somebody. So if we're looking at financial advice, for example, uh, usually the clients don't know as much about the topic. They're not experts, uh, which is why they're actually going to seek advice in the first place. So they have that vulnerability there. And it's the responsibility then for the advisors, of course, to ensure that they uh, do the right thing by their clients because they have been uh, entrusted with their finances. Uh, but when you look at a lot of those stories, the part of trust that I suppose becomes more important is the effective part of trust. But that's what's really something that came through very strongly in my research when I was talking to clients and asking them about the various things that made them trust their advisor. They would talk about two types to start with so that we have effective components and we have cognitive components. But at the core of it, they would always say, and I found this common theme, it was just a feeling that they had. They had a feeling. But sometimes that feeling on its own can actually provide some misguided trust, I suppose. So we need to have both effective and cognitive trust. So for these people that have maybe uh, not been treated the right way, they probably relied more on those uh, that effective trust than the cognitive trust. So if we break that down, for example, uh, on the effective trust side, it could be that they have something in common with a person, for example. Uh, it could be that the the person has, uh, you know, treated them very well, maybe provided a good listening ear, for example, made them feel important, made them feel that they really understand them. Uh, but on the cognitive side, what uh, people rely on is looking at the competence of that person that they're putting trust in. So the things that came through in terms of financial advice was that they were looking at the qualifications that somebody had, for example. It might have been they were looking at whether they were a member of a professional body. They also had trust in the government that the government would do something uh, if that person wasn't trustworthy, that they wouldn't be allowed to operate. So a lot of people had th these other levels of trust 
that they they used. Uh, the other thing in terms of competence was looking at stories from other people, but sometimes that has let people down. We've seen as well because uh, some some of these uh, advice, not advisors, people who have called themselves advisors, uh, have actually had you know friends of friends then come to see them. So, but it is important to to hear about stories and and look at the experience that someone's had. So, you know, if they're, they're looking at dealing with somebody who hasn't had much experience, then they're less likely to trust them as well. Yeah, and I think that people ask questions like going out to I know trades or other things people say oh do you know a good plumber or do you know a good electrician or do you know somebody who can fix my car it happens then with the, with the money stuff as well oh yeah i've been to a good financial planner or they yeah they've, they've done these things and so you you take on board that uh, that recommendation from friends and you've probably built up um a bit more trust and i guess i've seen that with clients coming in to see me as well and uh, i think it's also just that that testing of the trust to make sure that they're not blindly and often try and say that to, to people as well like okay it's great you've you've i've got a website and you've, you've seen my financial services guide and you've seen my qualifications um, and you've heard a good experience from a friend but it's also about just testing that that relationship and that trust as well to make sure that you're um, still going to be comfortable with what what the outcome might be um, and also hopefully that the advisor is giving you the the honest truth about uh, things as well if, if you're not going to get to where, where you need to be going I guess you, you did that research back in 2017. So do you think time has changed? Because I guess that was pre-Royal Commission. I guess it was on the back of the global financial crisis. Do you think uh, our, I don't know, especially in financial services context, do you think things have changed in that dynamic with clients? Definitely. I think there's. I think things have changed a lot. And I mean, a lot of the things that came through in that research was that Clients were saying I wouldn't trust anybody who wasn't qualified. But when I would ask them, well, what qualifications does your advisor have? They couldn't always tell me, but they would say, oh, I saw it on the wall. But I think there's still a lot of discussion around what qualifications advisors are going to have when we're looking at the experience pathway as well. But as I've said, experience is something that's important to a client for trust anyway. But I think knowing that there's now a national ethics exam, for example, and the code of ethics, I mean, that's something that consumers are now hearing quite a lot about. So I think that could make a bit of a difference. But definitely it's time, I think, to replicate the study and see what else I find. And one thing I didn't mention was that a lot of the clients I spoke to um, and even people, potential clients, because I spoke to both just to see if there was a bit of a difference and why uh, whether trust was an issue for those people who hadn't seen an advisor. But the other matter in terms of competence or the cognitive side of things was looking at the organisation that an advisor was part of. And for many clients, the banks came through more in a negative light. So now that we're post-Royal Commission, they could, and you know, a lot of the banks are not offering financial advice anymore. So that would be interesting to see what impact that has had. But not to say, all, I mean, there's some people who had some great experiences as well. Um, but yes, they, that was something that they looked for, the sort of organisation that an advisor was part of. And I think though those who did trust the banks looked at the banks as trustworthy because they were large organisations. So to them, that that helped build trust as well. So it, it can be different for different people. There are other people who don't trust the government um, as much They may, and also for cultural reasons. Um, I know just yeah, financial literacy presentations that I've given to various community groups. I had a question at one stage from um, 
from a participant that who actually said, but, oh, oh, sorry, I'll go back a step. I was actually pointing them towards the government's money smart resources, which, you know, really good, really helpful. And they said, but why would the government want to help me? Can I, can I trust those resources? And that was a surprise for me. I should have, you know, known more about that with some of the, the work that I've done, but it just hearing it directly from this person told me a little bit more to mm. unpack. So I think there's a little bit more work still to do. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's really fascinating. Like, I guess our own, our own biases and, and even going through the ethics process with the, the education standards. So we've all had, as financial advisors, had to sit a, an ethics exam and, and go through some, some structured learning about that. But that, that, um, unconscious biases was probably a big thing that came out of that for me in that we do, we, we show up as ourselves. So I've got my lived experience. Michelle, you've got your lived experience. The, the listeners will have their lived experience. And so, uh, again, that, as you say, might be the, the non-trusting of government or systems or processes that way. And so it is really important important i think to understand where have we come from what have what have what have our stories been what are the things the experiences that we've had to get to this moment now to then approach that relationship or again getting advice because i think some people might not ever get advice be it financial planning be it otherwise because of that lack of of trust that's right but if we look at people who haven't sought professional financial advice and we ask them well where where do they get their advice from they're asking friends and family and, you know, it's, and they're trusting them, even though their friends and family don't have that competence. So, well, not some may have, but, you know, they've, they've not been trained in, in that area. So that it's a little bit alarming in some ways as well, because if they've got friends and family who have made poor choices and they're trusting them <laughs> to help them out, that's just going to lead to them making poor choices as well. And I'm so surprised at the community groups that I follow on social media. You know, on Facebook, I've just got a couple of local community groups and I just like to have a look at what's going on. And so many, you know, every week you've got people saying, hey, does somebody know a good financial advisor? Or they actually ask questions. When can I retire? Like we see these posted on community notice boards. And, and then I look at the comments and, oh, it's so, it's really, really hard to read through those comments and see how misinformed people are. Uh, and, and I have to sort of hold back sometimes that I think oh, there's so many people who still need professional help in that space. Mm, I think even with, uh, we've heard a lot about chat GPT recently around AI and I oh, know you're in the university sector, so you're probably a whole new realm of, uh, <laughs> of change that um, now needs to be adjusted and, and thought about and go, okay, well, where does this fit in, uh, in the scope of things? And I was playing around with it the other day and asking questions around super contribution rates and, and retirement ages and things. And look, for the most part, it's got some information there, but it is a pre-overload of information that we get around, well, yeah, what, how do we how do we trust that? And again, some of the information was a bit out of date. So uh, the stuff that was being fed was actually not, not quite right. And so I think there's that big, big risk. Uh, and as you were saying before, around uh, getting advice from family members or following uh, what they've done, um, that, that could actually be a, another big trip up as well. I've had clients over the years who've come into the office and said, oh, yeah, I, I bought Bitcoin or I bought these shareholdings because my, my friend or, uh, or, or family member told me about them. And again, it's, it's really about sort of testing, well, where's that information come from? Is it actually a reliable source? And then is it going to get me to, to where I want to be going? All these 
money decisions, in my humble opinion, are often about the, the context that you're trying to create. That's right. But it's also, like as you know, everyone has their own personal experiences and we just talked about that and that's where, uh, you know, getting advice from family and friends, what might have worked for, for them isn't necessarily going to work for everybody but also with the, you know, chat GPT, uh, just using that even, you need to contextualize it you need to have it you know for everybody's individual circumstances which it doesn't do and further to that the the ordinary person wouldn't even know which questions to ask in the first place they may not necessarily know to ask about you know contribution limits and things like that so they they may not know that they exist that's another area you could have somebody not receiving financial advice that have a pay increase big bonuses or something like that um, and, you know, they could potentially be putting money into super and exceeding those caps and, and not even knowing about it. So it's it's knowing the right questions to ask. And that's something at university that we, we really uh, try to instill into our students as well. It's all about the questions that you ask. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And again, I've had many new clients over the years that have, have said that, like, well, what, what questions haven't we asked? What questions should we be asking you? Are there things that we've missed? And I think that's a, a great question. Again, if you are seeking out advice or if you are um, looking at those things, just trying to understand that. And I guess from, from your research, Michelle, what what are some of the tips or, or suggestions you'd give listeners? So if people are, um, I don't know, either going out to seek advice for the first time or they've got an advice relationship, um, what are some of the tips you'd, you'd say uh, are good ways to test, I guess, some of that trust. What, what are your top three? Well, say um, even going back to looking at these Facebook posts by community groups, I always just put in, and this is basic, but I put in a link to the financial advisor register, like first step, make sure that your advice is on the register. Uh, and yes, you can all also see on the register, of course, you know, any any um, black marks that might be against their name. That's that's another thing that you could look for. But looking at the qualifications, their experience, I think when you're actually in your initial meeting, uh, there, there are little tests that you could do in terms of ensuring that they're, they're listening to your personal situation. They're not providing the same advice to everybody. You want to make sure that it, it's personalised. But it's it's different for everybody you've got to you do need to find somebody that you feel comfortable with that you can trust but just be aware that um it's not always just the feeling it's just not enough on its own you you need to be doing all of those other background checks as well and and checking with maybe you know some some people who may have heard about them or used them in the past and what their experience has been but more over the longer term Mm, that's um really important it's like that uh the line out of the castle the the vibe of it um is really important yes i watched that the other night actually (laughs) and that's right and i think also though when i say not to just rely on your feelings but also rely on your feelings if you get a bad vibe then that's that's a red flag really so you know just unpack what that might be all about as well and, um, you know, we've got advisor ratings now. That's another way you can, can often have a little check to see, you know, where your advisor has been rated there and, and um, some of the comments that might have been made and, and how they practice. And looking for somebody who has experience in the area that you 
really need advice in as well. Exactly right. And, and look, we, we do a lot of stuff with, with public sector and defined benefit superannuation schemes. And sometimes, again, on online forums or, or otherwise within the advice space, I've seen uh, some very uh, interesting uh, and probably not, not right advice that's been thrown out to people as, as a general statement. And I'm just like, oh, be really careful about that stuff because it is more complex. There's, there's context there. It's not right for everybody. Um, it's actually about understanding your, your own situation and, uh, and what you're doing. What do you, what's your next focus area? I know you've done some of the financial literacy stuff. I, I know we haven't really talked about um, that, that today because it hasn't been the focus area, but I know you've, you've created a few apps and things in the past um, around uh, helping empower university students specifically around financial wellbeing but what, what, and, and capacity. What, what's your next sort of uh, focus area that you're doing at the moment? Well, I am looking at extending the app. So we got feedback from the students and, and it was very positive and, and a lot of them actually changed their behaviour just from using that app. It really empowered them. But something that came out of that that I wasn't expecting is that students are saying, well, what's next? We're ready now. Like we want to learn about investing, for example, which wasn't part of the app other than, um, you know, a little bit on compound interest and, and the value of compound interest. But um, and now with interest rates being higher, I suppose that could that could be helping some students who might be saving. But no, they're, they're ready to get into it. Like, and we cover a tiny bit on super, but more about, you know, compulsory super and entitlements and that sort of thing. So they are ready for that next level. So I'd like to sort of build in those levels, you know, an intermediate advanced sort of level there. But um, obviously, you have to be very careful about how, what, how we structure it and what we put into that. They also were looking at having more like push notifications to just give them little reminders about if they were staying on track with certain things, you know, when legislation might change, that sort of thing. So I am looking on um, expanding that and expanding it to, you know, a wider number of universities. And then longer term is looking at maybe developing an app specifically for high school students who are, you know, just about to embark on their first job and, and that sort of thing as well as um, little niche markets like looking at nurses, for example, or teachers with high school teachers. The OECD has reported that teachers, as well as parents, are the people that students go to for financial literacy sort of issues. So that's really important. And then, of course, I'm working on a project with financial planners and with a life coaching business just to look at the impact of clients seeing a life coach. So this is like mindset and setting life goals and, and well-being, that sort of thing, and whether that actually helps then when they go and see their advisor because I've heard a lot from advisors that some clients, you know, they'll make an appointment, um, they haven't been to an advisor before, something happens in their life, they realise they need advice, um, but then when the advisor's asking them about their goals, they don't actually know what their goals are. So by seeing a life coach and working out exactly what their goals in life are, you know, short, medium, long-term goals, uh, just looking at whether that's actually going to help them when they go back to see their uh, financial advisor and uh, and also in terms of the time that they need to spend on that with the advisor. So rather than paying the advisor to be working that out, they're actually seeing a, a life coach to do that who's actually got qualifications in that area. So I'm looking at, at that, a scientific um yeah, a, a business that has a scientific background to all of that, yes. 
Yeah, fantastic. No, that's really exciting. And uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the G word because I think it can bring up uh, a bit of a loaded a loaded thing for people. Say, oh, what are your goals? And like, oh, what but um, I, I love that you're doing that that research, and uh, I'd love to see what uh, what comes out of that because we we don't often get a lot of Australian centric research in these spaces. Uh, I think, and you've probably found that uh, during your career as well. It's it's harder to get the the funding and and go through those processes to do Australian based research. So we rely a lot of the time on things from the US and. Look, and it's expensive because the participants in this project, this um, will, and this is happening this year, they will actually be given free um, sessions with with the, this life coaching business. So it, it can add up, but of course, it's um, it's going to be well, I think, very valuable. So we'll see. We'll see what the what the findings show. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, I look forward, and I'm, I'm again watching with interest because I again uh, was fortunate enough to do some training with the the Kinder Institute, and they they really they call themselves financial life planners, and basically uh, pull together the uh, the life planning uh, probably and coaching uh, principles and fundamentals uh, into the financial planning side of things. But uh, yeah, it'd be fascinating to see what uh, what you find on that front as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think you know financial planners have to be across. So much on in the technical space it's just so broad and and you know you want to be uh, making sure you you're doing the right thing by your clients in that space but not all financial planners have got qualifications in that life goal space even though it's a really important part of the role so that's why I'm thinking well if we look at the the experts in that space that do that all the time uh, and just see well, if it makes a difference. And then, look, we'll go from there in terms of what do practices actually hire a life goal coach to do that for them? Um, or do they, you know, have some, have, you know, recommend to their clients that they have this happen? Or do we build it into the curriculum for our future generation of financial planners or all yeah. of the above? Yeah, and that, and that that'll be fascinating, I think, especially with with AI and what we're seeing in that that space. It, it may be that financial planners of the future are actually really good on the the human side of money and the the, the skills of actually saying to people, "Hey, let's give you really good context," because uh, often say the money's a means to an end. It's it's not about the piles of money. It's about the life and the lifestyle and the the ideal outcomes that you're trying to create at the end of the day. So. I'm excited, Michelle. I'm like, I want to come and uh, and learn all that with you, but uh, but I look forward to, to hearing how it all goes. We do keep these episodes short and sweet. Uh, it's been great to connect with you today, and I'll put uh, some of those contacts and resources on there, uh, as well as the obviously contacts for you, so people can go and read some of your research papers if they're uh, excited about that side of things as well. Um, and I know the the wallet app. Well, I'm probably not giving it the right name. What's Wallet's the right. uh, well, it's smart. I was about, I was about to go money smart. I'm like, no, no, Scott, wrong, wrong, wrong. But I'll, I'll put the li- links to the money smart website in the show notes. But um, the wallet smart app. So it, it's mostly designed for university students. It is designed for university students because I was. This was also a research project. I needed to contain it. Like I couldn't have people all over the world participating because I wanted to actually see if it was helping university students. Well, I won't put that in the show notes then, but I, I just want to celebrate that you're, you're doing some amazing stuff in that space. Any final words, Michelle? Any um, sort of parting uh, insights uh, before we wrap up today? I think just that it's very important for academics and financial advisors to work closely together and with one another. I mean, you you talked about Tracy West in your previous episode. I have worked with Tracy in the past and I I will be uh, working with her in the future and other academics um, around Australia and overseas. So 
I think that's really important because things are always better when you work together with teams. You always bring different ideas and experiences and and knowledge um, to what you do. But I think we need to also be working very closely with the advisors themselves because that's the best way for us to be able to to see where the research is needed and how we can best help advisors to do their jobs better. Yeah, definitely. And as I say, I'm, I'm excited that um, we are seeing a bit more funding. You, you might say, no, Scott, it's still a hard a hard hustle to get uh, funding and research dollars. But um, it, it seems that there is more research being done in the financial services space and especially around that that behavioural finance and, and human side of money. So um, thank you for doing that, Michelle. Thank you for also helping to, uh, I guess, inspire and, and lead the next generation of financial advisors uh, in, in university and, and work that you're doing in that space too. But um, Thank you most importantly for joining me today and um, sharing your wisdom and uh, especially, uh, again, the resurrection of the vinyl. I'm, I'm excited. I'm now going, right, I need to go and listen to some more vinyl again. Yeah, it's great. But look, oh, thank you very much for inviting me to be on on the program. I've really enjoyed it. And I think what you're doing is really, really good too. So thank you for, for what you're providing. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening, folks. Hope you've got some insights uh, around the trust uh, question as well. And as I say, look, if, you, if you're already getting advice, if you if you are seeing a financial advisor, probably worthwhile just doing a bit of that that check and, and test of the relationship just to make sure that you're still comfortable with that trust that you've, you've invested in the relationship. But also if you're out to seek advice for the first time, there's some great resources out there uh, just to make sure, as uh, Michelle was saying, that the, the advisor is regulated, registered uh, with the um, right organisations, but also has the right experience and, and skill set for what you're looking for. If you've enjoyed this episode, please uh, give us a rating where you're listening and we'll uh, see you all next time.